looking at the life of prophet Elijah and learning great lessons about resetting our energy. This message is the sixth in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Energy, Part One. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we get ready to dive into today's message. Just a couple things I do want to mention as we get started today. Uh, first of all, don't forget this coming Wednesday evening uh, is our first Wednesday. Can you imagine? This is already June, and so this is the first, well, this will be the first Wednesday of the month of June. So we would invite all of you here Wednesday night, bring all your life groups out and be a part of our service together on Wednesday evening at 7.15 in the Gaithersburg campus at Clarksburg, as well as in Frederick. All of these campuses will be holding first Wednesday services, a great time to worship together, and I'll share a special message with us. Also, uh, if you'd like to know how to get plugged in here at our church, the way you get started at Church of the Redeemer is through a class called Starting Point. It used to be called Living Stones. We made a few adjustments to it, and now it's a Starting Point, and it begins the first Sunday of every month. And so today starts our next session of Starting Point. You can dive in. It would be a great thing to do to really get you plugged into church. And if you want information about when that Starting Point class happens at any of your campuses, just just at the end of today's service, go to guest services. They'll tell you exactly when the class happens. And we really encourage you to be a part of that. It's a great way to really get uh, plugged in, become a part of community here at our church. We're going to continue today in a series of messages entitled, I Will Reset, a part of a bigger series of messages entitled, Made for More. We're talking about the fact that there are certain decisions that God wants us to make in life that will lead us to the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Jesus very clearly said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. Then Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That Jesus came to give you a more abundant life. Now, to experience this more life that Jesus has for us, we have to make certain choices. And we've been looking at some of those choices that we need to make along this journey. And one of those choices is the choice to learn how to reset your life when, not, when your life needs a reset. And this is so important because as we go through life, all of us will drift from time to time. Have you ever found yourself drifting a little bit spiritually or relationally or something in your life is just not where it really needed to be or where it once was? And so you've drifted away. And so if you don't know how to reset your life, you'll just continue to drift and you'll end up at a destination you didn't desire. And so in life, as you go through all the different seasons of life, you have to learn how to make resets, how to get back to the right place in life spiritually and otherwise. And so learning this process is vital to us. And resets happen in lots of different areas. They happen in your emotions. They happen in your interactions with people, your relationships. They happen in all kinds of areas of life. And the area that we want to talk about for the next three weekends, I'm going to spend three weekends on this particular topic because it's not really dealt with a whole lot. I want to talk to you about resetting your energy, resetting your energy. One of the things I've noticed about my life, I'm sure that you found it to be true as well, there are times in life when you just get tired. Anybody say amen, okay? There are times in life when you just simply get fatigued by life, and sometimes it's not even just a physical fatigue. Sometimes it's far more than a physical fatigue. Sometimes you're just tired spiritually, you're tired emotionally, and, and some folks will say it like this, I am bone tired, I am weary to the bone. And those kind of phrases indicate times when our life really need to be, needs to be reset back to a place of energy. 
And the word energy is a very important word. It's a biblical concept. In fact, uh, even the Scripture talks about us being filled with the power of God. You'll be filled with God's power. That's energy. It's dunamis. And so all throughout Scripture, you see the idea of energy, God energizing people. Let me give you the, the, de- the dictionary definition for energy. Energy is the ability to be active the physical, mental, or spiritual strength that allows you to do things, its usable power, the capacity of acting or being active. And so to be active in life as we need to be, to be fully engaged with life, we need energy. With no energy, there's no engagement. When you lack energy, you lack engagement. When you have energy, it allows you to properly be engaged in your life responsibilities and in the enjoyment of life as well. I want to take you to an Old Testament story and show you a man who lost his energy, who was really fatigued. I referred to this story a few weeks ago uh, as as a part of another message that I was sharing with you, but I want to bring it back to your attention. It's a story of a man by the name of, of, of Elijah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament during the time of a king by the name of Ahab and his wife, who was the queen, Jezebel. It was a time of great stress for Elijah because he was one of the few prophets of God in Israel and Ahab and Jezebel were very wicked people. They worshipped other gods. They worshipped the gods of Baal and other gods. And so during this period of time, Ahab and Jezebel tried, was trying to kill all of God's prophets, including Elijah. So Elijah had to actually run for his life and flee and hide to be protected from the threat upon his life. And as a part of this, it all culminates with eventually Elijah calling this gathering together at Mount Carmel. And uh, you can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 18. And there's this great confrontation between Elijah and 450 plus prophets of Baal and other prophets. And there's this showdown and God shows up in a great way. But it was a very emotional, spiritually draining moment. And then after this moment, I want you to see where Elijah was in his spirit, in his emotions, in his body. Listen to now the story. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read beginning in verse number 1 down through verse 18. A lot of verses, but I need to give you the whole story. So, you know, it never hurts to read the Bible. Amen? That's what we're here for, right? Just a little Bible reading. You ready? When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. It's on Mount Carmel. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So here's another death threat. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Elijah was so spent, he was so worn out by all the stress he'd been under that he runs away now from the threat of Jezebel. He runs out into the wilderness. He sits down under a tree and he basically prays this prayer, Lord, would you take me to heaven right now? I've had enough. There's not any more I can handle. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, Elijah was not suicidal. He was not thinking about taking his life. Suicide is never God's will for your life, okay? God gave you life, and God wants you to preserve your life. And so it's never in our hands to take our own life. But Elijah was at a place where he said, Lord, it would be nice if you just like send a lightning bolt right now and take me home. Anybody ever prayed something of a prayer like that? I'd like to go to heaven, and, he- and right now sounds like a really good time. And there he was in his weariness. Verse 5, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his his head was some uh, bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. He's really tired, of course. 
Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So again, he needed refreshment. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That's some pretty good angel food, isn't it, right? Get you going for 40 days. That's a great meal, right? There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So not only do you see the weariness in his body, you see the torment that's going on in his mind. You see the fatigue in his mind and his thinking. Now notice the next statement, verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. One translation says, a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. There he is, still in his dysfunctional thinking, still in his fatigue, still thinking with a wrong perspective. And then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve, or I have preserved, one translation says, seven thousand others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. There in that moment, what I want you to see is a really good man got tired. Was Elijah a good man? No question. He's a really good man. I mean, he's the guy that withstood all these prophets of Baal. He saw God send fire down from heaven. But you see a really good person grow weary. Not only see him weary in his physical body, but weary in his mind to the point that his perspective was warped. And God had to bring a gentle whisper to him and readjust him and get him back on track again and give him a positive momentum for his future. The good news is that God can do that for you when you're tired. If he did it for Elijah, he can do it for you and he will do it for you. We learn from this story some things about how to reset our energy. What do we do? And I'm going to, as I said over the next three weeks, today and two other weekends. I'm going to talk about how do you reset your energy when you're fatigued, when you're bone tired, and why is this energy so important? Today we'll look at two simple things, two principles of Scripture. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so. The first principle today is you and I need to put rest in its proper place. Rest is important to God. Say that with me. Rest is important to God. Let's say it again. All the campuses. Rest is important to God. When God created the world, He created the world with rhythm in mind. God is a rhythmic God. He creates rhythm. 
Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Then God said, this is the beginning of creation, God's work of creation. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. When God established this thing we know as our 24-hour cycle, Here on earth, there's this 24-hour cycle that we experience, and when he established that, he did it in divisions. He created one part called day and the other part called night. Day is for activity, night is for rest. In fact, God was so committed to rest as that when God said, what I'm going to do at a certain time of the day, I'm turning the lights off. The lights will go out. So there's a time that light will go out, and that's an indication that now you've moved from the activity of your day into the now rest and restoration for a coming day. And so there's this rhythm, there's this cycle that God created. God wired us to flow in rhythm. If you've studied anything about biology, you understand that there's circadian rhythms that we experience even in our physical bodies. That's why you travel, when you travel to different time zones, you have something called jet lag, and that jet lag is your body trying to get back into rhythm again because you get into a flow of 24-hour day, day and night, and so you have to readjust to this. And so God established the human creation with a need for rhythm. God is a rhythmic God, and this rhythm of God is not just a daily rhythm, it's also a weekly rhythm that he gives us. Notice what God said in chapter 2 of Genesis. So the creation of heavens, of the heavens and earth, the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he did what? He circle that phrase on your notes. He rested from all his work. Let me ask you a question. Did God rest because he was tired? That's not a trick question. Okay. Did God rest because he was tired? No. God rested because he's establishing a principle, okay? God never gets tired. So there was no weariness in God, but he said, I want to give you a principle. I'm resting from my labor. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, God says, I want to show you how I want you to live. And I'm not just just going to tell you. I'm going to give you my example, okay? I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to show you. And so God worked for six days in creation. But on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. So God's plan for your life and my life includes a very active work week. Six days you will labor. But also a daily time of rest, day and night, and a weekly time of rest because the word Sabbath actually means rest. That's what the word means. Now, when God gave his top ten requirements to humanity, to Moses and the people of God at Mount Sinai, it's called the Ten Commandments, he included this in in, in those commandments. Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse number 8. Listen to this. God's words to us as God's people, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For you you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to football. That's not what it says in your Bible? Okay, no. Dedicated to the... Lord your God, on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the seventh day and set it apart as 
holy. So we see that God establishes this rhythm. Rest is important to God. Rest is something that God values and establishes for us to engage in. You need regular rest because when you and I do not get regular rest, many research projects have been done in terms of the impact of a lack of rest physically and emotionally. You become uh, sicker more often. You find yourself having all kind of changes to your, your resistance system in terms of viruses and diseases. And obviously, when you're not rested, you're less productive, you're less uh, fulfilled, you make poorer decisions. We could talk about all the different kind of ramifications that go along with an unrested person. But the key principle for resetting your energy is to understand that there's a rhythm of work and a rhythm of rest daily and weekly. And it's not just a day of the week. It is an attitude that you live in, as I'll talk about in a few moments. Jesus practiced this principle. If you want to know how important it is to God, look at how Jesus lived. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Look at this passage. When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual where? To the synagogue when? On the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm, I, God, Jesus had a perfect relationship with God, did he not? Was there ever anyone any closer to God than Jesus? No. Jesus was God, okay? And so there's never a time that Jesus was distant from God. But nevertheless, he said, on the Sabbath day, I'm going to be with the people of God. Because in the natural dimension of this is his own humanity being fully God and fully man. He needed to restore himself in the atmosphere of worship. And so you and I need to do the same. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Another principle in Jesus' life. You see this concept of rest. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they, that's Jesus and his disciples, did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, read the rest with me, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I mean, you think that's some good advice, right? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And what you need right now is you need some rest. So you and I need to establish some rather regular rhythmic patterns of rest, make it a priority. The second thing I want to talk to you about today is this. And this is vital to understanding this, this rest principle in Scripture. You must grow your trust. It's the toughest part, I would say. It's going to be one of the toughest things that you and I ever do because as human beings we have a tendency not to, to, to really grasp this very well. I will tell you from a physical standpoint that sleeping 8, 10 hours, taking good naps, going on vacations, having some days off, all those things will not guarantee that you're rested. There are people that wake up in the morning as tired as they were when they went to sleep at night. There are people that will take a nap when they wake up from their nap. They're just as tired as they were before they took one. There are people that will go on a great vacation and come back more fatigued after the vacation than they were before it. There are people that will take days off and not be any more rested by their days off than they were before. Because I promise you that sleep or naps or vacations or days off will not rest you. Rest is not rest until you're inter internally rested. You with me here? Rest is not rest unless you're resting where? On the inside. And that's where real rest happens. And rest is about, one definition describes rest this way, relief, from, relief or freedom, especially from anything that wearies, troubles, or disturbs. You got that? Listen to it again. What is real rest? It's relief or freedom especially from anything that wearies you, that troubles you or disturbs you mentally or spiritually. It brings tranquility and calm to your inner being. 
And this is when Jesus, why when Jesus came, he expanded the concept of Sabbath from just a day of the week to a way of life, okay? Sabbath is not just about a day that you go and worship. That's important to do that. But Sabbath is also, rest is also about the way we live our lives. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through down, down through verse 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, fatigued, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, for you will find, again, he uses the word rest for your souls, not rest for your bodies, but rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why does Jesus emphasize rest for your souls? Because rest for your soul will help produce rest in your body, okay? If you have rest in your soul and your spirit, then there's, there's going to be a natural outworking of that for rest in your body. A lot of times we're trying to rest the body, but we haven't rested our soul. And so because of that, we're still weary on the inside. So we have to flip this thing around and realize that the real rest that I need is what happens inside of me. Now, that may also be resulting from some things I need to do outside of me in terms of physically, because sometimes you just need to do something physical to get your soul where it needs to be, right? For Elijah, he needed to take a nap. He needed some food. And so to get his soul back to where it was, see, these things work together. We are not broken apart as human beings. It's not like, okay, here's my spirit over here and my soul over here and my body over here. No, I'm all together. I'm spirit, soul, and body. So what happens in my spirit affects my soul. What happens in my soul affects my body. What happens in my body affects my soul. What happens in my soul affects my spirit. All these things work together. So we are, we are, complete, we are a, a tripart being. You can't break them apart. But if you're just trying to work on the body over here and paying no attention to your soul, you're never going to have real rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So rest refers to refreshment on the inside. And the real issue with rest is this word. I gave it to you a moment ago. It's trust. You cannot rest unless you trust. It's true in every part of life, every relationship of life. You cannot be at a rested place until you're in a trusting place. You, can't, you cannot separate real rest from trust, and you can't separate real rest from worship. These things go together. Trusting God is the pathway to rest. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. Is this helping anybody today at all? Okay. Thank you, all four of you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I'm highly encouraged, okay? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power, or we might use the word there, energy. I think that's synonymous with power. He gives power or energy to the weak and strength or power, energy, to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. Now read verse 31 together with me, all of our campuses. Here we go. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Stop there for a moment. We'll find new what? strength, new energy, new power. Reading on. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. 
they will walk and not faint. Now notice this. Here are the promises. Find new strength. Soar high on wings like eagles. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. Those are promises that apply to one particular kind of person. And what is the person that those promises apply to? Those who do what? Circle that phrase on your notes. Those who trust in the Lord. So when you and I trust in the Lord, it is that trust that brings the new strength, that allows us to soar, that allows us to run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. So you and I need trust. Trust in God is the pathway to rest and the pathway to renewal. And let me tell you the main enemy of trust. This is not going to surprise you, but I do want to draw it to your attention. There's a main enemy of trust, and the main enemy of trust is worry. Okay? That's your main enemy of trust, worry. And worry is one of the biggest energy drainers in your life. When you're worrying, it's just like having a big old hole out of the worry side of your life and just out of the energy side of your life, just like energy just draining from. How do you get tired when you've worried a lot, right? Just just wears you out. Worry creates fatigue in you. And that's why the enemy, see, if the, if, if the enemy can get your energy, he gets your activity, right? Remember we talked about that a moment? When he gets your energy, he gets your engagement, okay? So if he can sap your energy, he can sap your engagement. He can sap your activity. He can sabotage your usefulness, right? Because if you don't have any energy, what can you do, right? You don't have any energy, can't do anything, right? And so the adversary loves to come along and sap our strength and sap our energy. And one of the ways he does that, he does it in many different ways, but one of the ways he does that is by, by, the, by the proliferation or by the, by the attack of anxieties and worries that come our way. And so worry gets into our system, and then there's this draining off of our energy and then, of course, our engagement. So to conquer worry, there's only one way to conquer conquer worry, and that's learn to trust, okay? Now, what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to give you five elements of trusting God, but I want to give you a, 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 a statement up front. I haven't conquered these five things either. Isn't that good to know? Okay. I'm still working on these things, okay? And I have to tell you, sometimes I worry. I hate it when I do, but sometimes I do. I don't like that in my life. Do you like, nobody likes worry, okay? So I'm in the process of this. I'm not here to tell you today, this is what you ought to do. I'm telling you, let's work on this together, amen, okay? I mean, we can all work on this together, right? So I'm like your big brother today. I'm like you're just trying to give you a little advice along the way and some of the things that I'm trying to learn, trying to practice, but nobody's there yet. And so don't beat yourself up if you're not there yet today, okay? Let's all start together and work on this stuff. Number one, how do you deal? How do you begin to develop real trust in God? Number one, you talk to God about every concern. I'm going to use the acronym TRUST. T, you talk to God about every concern in your life. What do you do to God? You talk to Him, okay? You don't talk to yourself. That's what worry is. Worry is talking to yourself. Worry is when you talk to yourself about stuff that's going on and you're trying to fix it and work on it. And how many know you're not that smart anyway, right? Right? When you're trying to figure out your own problems, you're, you're, you're really, you're not that smart, okay, okay? You know, you, you, because anxiety gets in you, and you say, well, what if this, and what if that, what if the other thing, all this, your mind just going like crazy, so you begin to self-talk, and what you need to do is turn that talk into, toward God, okay? Because here's the thing you need to know about God. God will listen to you. There are a lot of people that will not listen to you. 
I mean, as soon as you start, they ask you, how are you? And you begin to tell them how you really are, and they turn off like they walk away. They don't really want to know, okay? Right? They just wanted to have a little brief conversation. They didn't really want to know. But when you go to God, God says, how are you? How you doing? And then he actually listens. And there's not a single problem that you can tell God that will surprise him. There's not a single problem you can tell God that's too small for him to worry about or be concerned about. There's not a single problem you can tell God that's too big for him to handle, okay? There's nothing that's too small. There's nothing that's too big. But what you have to do is tell him, okay? You've got to talk to him. And that's called prayer. That's all prayer is. Prayer is going to God and talking to God about the stuff that's going on in your life. It's not dressing it up with religious garb. Oh, thouest goddest. How greatest is thouest. Okay? That's not prayer. Okay? That's like God saying, What? You talking to me? Okay. But prayer is, God, I just want to tell you what's going on in my heart right now. I want you to know what, what I'm really facing and what I'm feeling right now. I'm worried about this situation at my job. I'm worried about this situation and this relationship. I'm worried these are things that are troubling me. And I just want to bring my anxieties into your presence. I want to bring my problems before you. I'll refer to this several times today, probably as we go through this Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It's not in your notes, but... Uh, it's a great passage to look up. I'm going to quote this to you from the uh, Living Bible. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Talk to God about every concern. Dear ones, let me encourage you as I'm encouraging myself to make sure that you and I when, when things are on our hearts, draining our energy, that the first place we go is not to ourselves, and the first place we go is not to somebody else, but the first place we go is to God, okay? Number two, remember, as you're talking to God about your concerns, remember that God loves you and God has promises for you. This is so important, because God's just not a sounding board up in heaven, God actually loves you. He actually loves you. God loves me and God loves you. Say together with me, God loves me. God is for me. Say that with me. Come on, say it again like you mean it. God loves me. God is for me. God has promises for me. That's powerful, folks. To know that when I go to God, I'm not talking to a God that is, that is uncaring or just like, okay, just tell me, okay, I heard that. Hope things work out for you. No, he loves us. He actually loves you. You say, well, you mean he knows me and really loves me because I got all that stuff in my life? I mean, have some stuff in your life that you sometimes worry maybe God could love you because of that stuff in your life. Anybody here? Come on, just a finger up at least, all right? Okay. Okay. And the things in your life you say, I'm not sure God could love me, but God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son in the world to die on the cross for you, okay? That's how much he loves you, okay? He loves you that much, okay? They gave his only son. He watched his son die on the cross with all your sin and my sin upon him. That's how much he loves you. And he has promise for you. God is not against you. God is for you. God is for you. He wants to help you. He is your helper, a very present help in trouble. And so we come to God and remember, God, you love me. I've talked to you about this. Now I know that you love me. I know that you have promises for me. And then the you in trust means that you then must unload all your cares and concerns to God, upon God. So you talk 
you remember, and then you unload. What does it mean to unload? To unload means to unload. That's what it means. It means to take the load off. Because what worry is, is worry is you carrying the load, okay? That's all worry is. Worry is like you got this big backpack on, and you got all your cares in there, okay? You've loaded them down. You've loaded yourself down with all this stuff. And God says, now, that, and prayer is telling him what's in your backpack, right? That's all it is. So this is my backpack called worry. And so prayer is telling him what's in your backpack. That's what it is, okay? And as you're telling him, remembering that he loves you and he has promises for you, but that's still not enough. At some point, you actually have to take off your backpack and give it to God, okay? And say, now I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give you my cares. Unload. See, if you're a fisherman, when you go fishing, you have a rod and a reel. And when you reel that, when you get ready to, 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 to fish, you hold down a little button. And then when you get ready to cast your line, you release that button and the line is released and it's able to be cast out into the water uh, where the fish are. And so there's a moment where to cast, you have to release, okay? You can't cast without releasing, okay? You have to actually let go. Psalm 55, verse 22. I'm going to read you the counterpart of this in a moment in the New Testament, but I want you to hear it uh, from the Old Testament psalmist, Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. So cast your cares. And then S, surrender to God's instructions and God's plan. Give up control of your life. That's part of what it means to unload your cares, to say, God, now I'm going to put you in the driver's seat. There are things. How many of you have things in your backpack right now that you're worried about that you can't control? Raise your hand right now, okay? So why are you trying to control them? Could God control them better? Okay. So you surrender them to God. Say, God, this is yours. Okay, I can't now. It's yours. I'm going to surrender. I'm getting out of the driver's seat here, okay? Because in any vehicle, you cannot have two drivers, okay? Either somebody's going to drive and somebody's going to ride, Okay. But you're in a trouble if two people are trying to sit in the driver's seat, right? Not gonna, it's going to be a mess, okay? And the same is true with God. You say, God, I'm going to move over to the passenger side. I'm going to let you take control. I'm surrendering the wheel to you. And then T, thank God for his help. I'll give you a moment to write that down, but then I want your attention, full attention just for a moment about this. Thank God for his help. So T, I talk to God. Here's what's in my backpack. R, I remember, God, that you love me and that you have promises for me. You, I'm going to unload my cares. I'm going to cast them over on you. S, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to let you take charge. And you're, you're at the driver's seat of this, God. And then now, T, what is T for? The last T? Thank God. Now, here's what I want you to see. The best kind of thanksgiving is on the front end of the problem, not on the back end of the problem. Okay? Are you with me here? The easy kind of thanks is on the back end of the problem. Anytime a problem is solved, oh, pastor, can I testify today? I got a testimony. Man, God did this. And I, I, I talk to you at times, people talked about what God has done. And that's awesome. We ought to give thanks to God when He does stuff in our lives. But this Thanksgiving is not the Thanksgiving that just comes on the back end. It's the Thanksgiving that comes on the front end. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 
don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. When do you thank Him? After the answer comes? Of course we thank God after the answer has come. Let's throw a party after the answer has come. Let's all celebrate. Let's glorify God after the answer comes. Praise God for the answers after they come. But let's also be people who praise God before we see the answer come. And praise God for the answer that is not maybe manifest yet, but the answer is on the way. Amen? The answer is, so thanksgiving, giving thanks is one of the greatest statements of faith you will ever make. See, when you say, thank you, God, I know you've got this, what you're saying is, God, before I see with my eyes, I'm trusting with my heart that you're in control of this, I'm putting my confidence in you, so thank you for what you're going to do. I don't know exactly how this is going to look, but I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you on the front end. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. Surrender to Him, and He will make your path straight. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. 1 Peter 5, 7. This is the counterpart of Psalm 55 that we read a few moments ago, 55, verse 22. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Put rest in its proper place and continue to grow your trust. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful that you're speaking to us. Lord, all of us would acknowledge this morning that we have a lot of growth to do when it comes to trust. Not because you're untrustworthy, Lord, you're a, very, you're a trustworthy God. But, Lord, we're human beings, and we so often let our worries overtake us. And so, Lord, this morning we want to talk to you about every concern. We want to remember that you love us. We want to remember that you have promises for us. We want to unload our cares upon you and surrender ourselves to you. And, Lord, we thank you for the work you're going to do in taking care of the problems and issues of our life. Lord, thank you that as we trust in you, we find rest in you. Lord, let this word seal, be sealed in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life 
to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.